Section fourteen of a Romance of Two Worlds by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight, part two, a symphony in the air. I pondered over her words a good deal without arriving at any satisfactory conclusion as to the meaning of them. I did not resume the conversation with her, nor did I speak to Heliobas as yet, and the days went on smoothly and pleasantly till I had been nearly a week in residence at the Hotel Mars. I now felt perfectly well and strong, though Heliobas continued to give me his remedies regularly, night and morning. I began an energetic routine of musical practice. The beautiful piano in the drawing-room answered readily to my touch, and many a delightful hour slipped by as I tried various new difficulties on the keyboard, or worked out different combinations of harmony. I spent a great deal of my time at the organ in the little chapel, the bellows of which were worked by electricity, in a manner that gave not the least trouble, and was perfectly simple of management. The organ itself was peculiarly sweet in tone, the vox humana stop, especially, producing an entrancingly rich and tender sound. The silence, warmth, and beauty of the chapel, and the winter sunlight streaming through its stained windows, and the unbroken solitude I enjoyed there, all gave fresh impetus to the fancies of my brain, and a succession of solemn and tender melodies wove themselves under my fingers as a broidered carpet is woven on the loom. One particular afternoon I was sitting at the instrument as usual, and my thoughts began to busy themselves with the sublime tragedy of Calvary. I mused, playing softly all the while, on the wonderful, blameless, glorious life that had ended in the shame and cruelty of the cross, when suddenly, like a cloud swooping darkly across the heaven of my thoughts, came the suggestive question is it all true was christ indeed divine or is it all a myth a fable an imposture unconsciously i struck a discordant chord on the organ a faint tremor shook me and i ceased playing an uncomfortable sensation came over me as of some invisible presence being near me and approaching softly slowly yet always more closely and I hurriedly rose from my seat, shut the organ, and prepared to leave the chapel, overcome by a strange, incomprehensible terror. I was glad when I found myself safely outside the door, and I rushed into the hall as though I were being pursued. Yet the oddest part of my feeling was that whoever thus pursued me did so out of love, not enmity, and that I was almost wrong in running away. I leaned for a moment against one of the columns in the hall, trying to calm the excited beating of my heart, when a deep voice startled me. "'So you are agitated and alarmed. Unbelief is easily scared.' I looked up and met the calm eyes of Heliobas. He appeared to be taller, statelier, more like a Chaldean prophet or king than I had ever seen him before. There was something in his steady scrutiny of my face that put me to a sort of shame— and when he spoke again it was in a tone of mild reproof you have been led astray my child by the conflicting and vain opinions of mankind you like many others in the world delight to question to speculate to weigh this to measure that with little or no profit to yourself or your fellow-creatures and you have come freshly from a land where in the great senate-house a poor perishable lump of clay calling itself a man dares to stand up boldly and deny the existence of god while his compeers less bold than he pretend a holy displeasure 
yet secretly support him, all blind worms denying the existence of the sun. A land where so-called religion is split into hundreds of cold and narrow sects, gathering assembled for the practice of hypocrisy, lip service and lies, where self, not the creator, is the prime object of worship. A land, mighty once among the mightiest, but which now, like an overripe pear, hangs loosely on its tree, awaiting but a touch to make it fall. A land, let me not name it, where the wealthy, high-fed ministers of the nation slowly argue away the lives of better men than themselves, with vain words of colder and more cruel force than the whirling spears of untaught savages. What have you, an ardent disciple of music, to do in such a land where favoritism and backstair influence win the day over even the merits of a Schubert? Supposing you were a second Beethoven, what could you do in that land without faith or hope? That land which is like a disappointed, churlish, and aged man, with tottering feet and pure-blind eyes, who has long ago exhausted all enjoyment and sees nothing new under the sun. The world is wide, faith is yet extant, and the teachings of Christ are true. Believe and live, doubt and die. That saying is true also. I had listened to these words in silence, but now I spoke eagerly and impatiently, remembering what Zara had told me. Then, I said, if I have been misguided by modern opinions, if I have unconsciously absorbed the doctrines of modern fashionable atheism, lead me right. Teach me what you know. I am willing to learn. Let me find out the reason of my life. Set me free." Heliobus regarded me with earnest solemnity. "'Set you free,' he murmured in a low tone. "'Do you know what you ask?' "'No,' I answered with reckless fervor. "'I do not know what I ask, but I feel that you have the power to show me the unseen things of another world. Did you not yourself tell me in our first interview that you had let Raffaello Cellini go on a voyage of discovery, and that he came back perfectly satisfied?' Besides, he told me his history. From you he has gained all that gives him peace and comfort. You possess electric secrets, undreamt of by the world. Prove your powers upon me. I am not afraid. Heliobus smiled. Not afraid. And you ran out of the chapel just now as if you were pursued by a fiend. You must know that the only woman I ever tried my greatest experiment upon is my sister Zara. She was trained and prepared for it in the most careful manner, and it succeeded. Now, and Heliobus looked half sad, half triumphant, she has passed beyond my power, she is dominated by one greater than I, but she cannot use her force for others, she can only employ it to defend herself. Therefore I am willing to try you, if you indeed desire it, to see if the same thing will occur to you as to Zara and I firmly believe it will. A slight tremor came over me, but I said with an attempt at indifference, You mean that I shall be dominated also by some great force or influence? I think so, replied Heliobus musingly. Your nature is more prone to love than to command. Try and follow me in the explanation I am going to give you. Do you know some lines by Shelley that run, Nothing in the world is single, 
all things by a law divine in one another's being mingle why not i with thine yes i said i know the lines well i used to think them very sentimental and pretty they contain said heliobas the germ of a great truth as many of the most fanciful verses of the poets do as the image of a voice mentioned in the book of job hinted at the telephone and as shakespeare's girdle round the earth foretold the electric telegraph so the utterances of the inspired starvelings of the world known as poets suggest many more wonders of the universe than may be at first apparent poets must always be prophets or their calling is in vain but this standard of judgment to the verse writers of the day and where would they be the english laureate is no seer he is a mere relater of pretty stories algernon charles swinburne has more fire in him and more wealth of expression but he does not prophesy he has a clever way of combining biblical similes with provencal passion et voilà tout the prophets are always poor the sackcloth and ashes of the world are their portion and their bodies moulder a hundred years or more in the grave before the world finds out what they meant by their ravings but apropos of these lines of shelley he speaks of the duality of existence nothing in the world is single he might have gone further and said nothing in the universe is single cold and heat storm and sunshine good and evil joy and sorrow all go in pairs this double life extends to all the spheres and above the spheres do you understand i understand what you say i said slowly but i cannot see your meaning as applied to myself or yourself i will teach you in a few words went on heliobas you believe in the soul yes very well now realize that there is no soul on this earth that is complete alone like everything else it is dual it is like half a flame that seeks the other half and is dissatisfied and restless till it attains its object lovers misled by the blinding light of love think they have reached completeness when they are united to the person beloved now in very very rare cases perhaps one among a thousand this desirable result is effected but the majority of people are content with the union of bodies only and care little or nothing about the sympathy or attachment between souls there are people however who do care and who never find their twin flame or companion spirit at all on earth and never will find it and why because it is not imprisoned in clay it is elsewhere well i asked eagerly well you seem to ask me by your eyes what this all means i will apply it at once to myself by my researches into human electrical science i discovered that my companion my other half of existence though not on earth was near me and could be commanded by me and on being commanded obeyed with zara it was different 
she could not command she obeyed she was the weaker of the two with you i think it will be the same thing men sacrifice everything to ambition women to love it is natural i see there is much of what i have said that appears to have mystified you it is no good puzzling your brain any more about it no doubt you think i am talking very wildly about twin flames and spiritual affinities that live for us in another sphere you do not believe perhaps in the existence of beings in the very air that surrounds us invisible to ordinary human eyes yet actually akin to us with a closer relationship than any tie of blood known on earth i hesitated heliobas saw my hesitation and his eyes darkened with a sombre wrath are you one of those also who must see in order to believe he said half angrily where do you suppose your music comes from where do you suppose any music comes from that is not mere imitation the greatest composers of the world have been mere receptacles of sound and the emptier they were of self-love and vanity the greater quantity of heaven-born melody they had the german wagner did he not himself say that he walked up and down in the avenues trying to catch the harmonies as they floated in the air come with me come back to the place you left and i will see if you like wagner are able to catch a melody flying he grasped my unresisting arm and led me half frightened half curious into the little chapel where he bade me seat myself at the organ do not play a single note he said till you are compelled and standing beside me heliobas laid his hands on my head then pressed them on my ears and finally touched my hands that rested passively on the keyboard he then raised his eyes and uttered the name i had often thought of but never mentioned the name he had called upon in my dream azel he said in a low penetrating voice open the gateways of the air that we may hear the sound of song a soft rushing noise of wind answered his adjuration this was followed by a burst of music transcendently lovely but unlike any music i had ever heard there were sounds of delicate and entrancing tenderness such as no instrument made by human hands could produce there was singing of clear and tender tone and of infinite purity such as no human voices could be capable of i listened perplexed alarmed yet entranced suddenly i distinguished a melody running through the wonderful air symphonies a melody like a flower fresh and perfect instinctively i touched the organ and began to play it i found i could produce it note for note i forgot all fear in my delight and i played on and on in a sort of deepening rapture gradually i became aware that the strange sounds about me were dying slowly away fainter and fainter they grew softer farther and finally ceased but the melody that one distinct passage of notes i had followed out remained with me 
and I played it again and again with feverish eagerness, lest it should escape me. End of section 14